The following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Reading is from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. I'll give you a moment to find it in your Bibles. I'm reading from the NIV translation. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we just pray together? Lord, we thank you for your word through your servant Peter. And we pray that as we read his words tonight, we would be attentive to your voice to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm here in my home in Durham, and I'm sure like many of us, I haven't really done any travelling recently, not to speak of, but can you remember those times when we did used to travel, when we'd sit close to people on trains or stand next to people in queues or in crowds, and we'd overhear one half of a telephone conversation and try and imagine what the other person at the other end of the line was saying? It's quite a fun thing to do, isn't it? You, you can't be sure what the other person is saying, but you can kind of get the gist. When you hear someone saying, don't worry, don't worry, it'll be fine, you can assume that the person on the other end of the line is going to be panicking big time. That sort of thing. In some ways, I think reading the New Testament is a little bit similar, particularly in the letters written by particular people to specific churches at a particular time. We're listening in on one side of a telephone call, or rather a kind of correspondence of letters. As I've said before in this sermon series, the evidence is that the early Christians worked really hard to stay in touch. And so letters would have been flying to and fro, of which we only have one side of the dialogue in the Bible. We don't have, for example, the the second letter of the Corinthians to Paul. It's a shame, though. I'd love to read it. Therefore, 
part of reading the New Testament letters in particular is having our imagination open to the other side of the correspondence that the New Testament writers are responding to. Now, the problem with that is that can take you down quite a few bunny trails, but it can be quite interesting and revealing as well. And I just want to share one thing that I've noticed over the years that I think is relevant for our passage tonight, and that's this. Many of the New Testament writers go out of the way to address the question of suffering for their audience. James opens his letters, for example, by dealing with suffering head-on when he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. The writer of the Hebrews tackles why perseverance in suffering is so important. Paul tells Timothy that he's not to be, uh, that he's not ashamed of his own suffering and Timothy shouldn't be either. It seems to be that the early church was a suffering church and clearly asked questions about it. They communicated to their teachers that this suffering was somehow an issue that they wanted to be addressed. Now the same would seem to be true for those young believers in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, uh, who Paul is addressing in his letter. In our passage today, uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, Peter addresses the question of their suffering twice very directly. He says in verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening. And in verse 16 he says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But those two questions, uh, those two statements beg the question, why might they be surprised? Why might they be ashamed? Peter isn't saying this out of nowhere. He's likely to have heard something that suggested that they were shocked or embarrassed, that their life as Christians was so tough. Why might they have felt like this? We can't be sure, but here's a possible reconstruction. That the Greco-Roman culture of the day which they were living in was one where success and money and praise and pleasure were the goals of human life. Uh, all around ancient cities you'd have seen statues in public squares celebrating some or all of those goals of life. Uh, and pagan religion was about the pursuit of all four of them, not necessarily all at the same time. Now. From one perspective, the the new Christian faith had a very positive message that fitted well into that. As Peter reminded his readers in chapter 1, it was about a living hope, resurrection power, eternal salvation, inexpressible joy. Those are really kind of positive, great-sounding truths. So how come the optics were so bad? How come that Christians were being ridiculed, marginalised, overlooked, persecuted even? If Christian faith was all about these positives, why weren't their lives easier? Had they they misunderstood the gospel? Had they got it wrong? Were they letting the side down? Peter, it seems to me, wants to reassure those early believers in in this part of the letter by saying, he says, don't be surprised. Don't be ashamed of your suffering. And for proof, he points them in one direction. He points them to Christ. 
There's three verses where this takes place. Verse 12, he says, Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 14, If you're insulted because of the name of the Christ, you are blessed. Verse 16, If you're suffering as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Now, that last one is really interesting, actually. It's the only time in any of the New Testament letters that the term Christian, Christianos, is used. Uh, Luke tells us in Acts that it was the, a new term first used in Antioch, but Peter is the only New Testament writer to use it to early believers. It was a made-up word, you see. Christ people, I suppose, would be one way of translating it. So Peter is saying to those early believers, you shouldn't be surprised at your suffering. You shouldn't be ashamed of your suffering because of Christ, because that is exactly what happened to Christ. He suffered, he was insulted. And as Christians, as Christ people, you're called to do the same. Perhaps a story might help. Uh, this week, just passed, I was meant to be taking a group of Cranmer students on pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Obviously we didn't go, but I hope you'll indulge me if you come with me in your imagination to the one of the most hidden, one of the most special places in any pilgrimage, and that's a place called Wadi Kelt. Let me set the scene. We're a few miles west of the city of Jericho, itself at the very top of the Dead Sea. This is desert territory. But to the west of Jericho, the mountains begin to climb up the thousand metre difference from 300 metres below sea level in Jericho and 700 metres where Jerusalem is. The mountains themselves are white and barren, covered in sand. But up through those mountains snakes a path, an ancient river course which floods in the winter and is dry in the summer. There are springs there as well, ancient springs. A, a monastery dating back 1500 years just show, shows how long the water source has been there. Now, we walk up this path from Jericho because it's very possible that this is the route that Jesus took on his last journey from Jericho to Jerusalem on his final visit to that centre of pilgrimage and faith. There's a path along a water source uh, between the mountains and so sheltered from the forbidding sun. And whenever we go, we take a break in the shade of an overhanging rock and look across to the path where Jesus would have walked. We recall the Spina Christi bush that we've just passed, said to be the type of bush from which the crown of thorns was made. And we reflect on Jesus walking the way of the cross. He may not be carrying the wood yet, but his Via Dolorosa has already begun. He is walking to his death. The jeers of abuse have yet to start, but start they will. And he knows it. And so in our imagination, we watch and observe. Jesus suffering, walking the way of the cross. Except, except it doesn't end with observing, well at least it shouldn't. Because as Jesus set out on this final journey, all the way up 
in verdant Galilee, many, many miles away. He told his disciples this, If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, our task is not to watch Jesus walking the way of the cross. It's to get up and join him, carrying our cross and following in his steps. That will involve cost. The cost of doing good when it's easier to choose otherwise. The cost of bearing insults. The cost of giving ourselves for others. The cost of putting him on the throne and us at his service. The cost of silence while others sneer. It's that picture, I want to suggest, that's in Peter's mind as he points those early believers, suffering as they were, to the example of Jesus. He suffered, Peter says, and so there should be no surprise and no shame when you do too. It's not a sign that you're doing something wrong. It's a sign that you're doing something right. Note, by the way, that Peter is not saying that this means that all suffering is part of the way of the cross and is kind of glorifying to God. He says some hardship comes from just doing things wrong. In other words, if, if you get put into prison for stealing or murder, that's not working the, walking the way of the cross. That's not suffering for Christ. And likewise, in this passage, he's not talking about the, the, the general suffering that is the lot of all of us living in a beautiful but broken world. This is not a passage that will help us understand why the coronavirus is happening or, or, or about why bad things happen to good people. What, what Peter is saying is about that particular cost that is associated with following Jesus. And therefore he's saying, don't worry if following Jesus is actually costing a lot at the moment. Don't worry if it feels more suffering than joy. He says that's okay. Jesus walked that path too. Your task, as Peter says in verse 19, is to do as Jesus did and commit yourselves to a faithful creator while continuing to walk the good path. Commit yourself to a faithful creator. I often think of what it meant for Jesus to put one foot in front of the other on that path up from Jericho to Jerusalem, all too aware that each step was a step nearer the cross. I wonder if he said those psalms that speak of where trust is located in a creator God. I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. But there's something else too. I, I really believe that Jesus looked beyond the cross as well. For just as he promised his disciples that he would be crucified, so he also said that he would be raised again. So perhaps another psalm was on his lips as he walked between those mountains. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And then, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So it is that Peter can say in verse 13, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Living hope, resurrection power, eternal salvation, inexpressible joy. They may be things we only glimpse at the moment, but one day they will, we will be dazzled by their beauty. So if we're going to hear Peter's message for us today, can I suggest you join me and take your place behind Jesus on his way up to the cross and walk in his costly steps? Now that might feel very relevant for you at the moment. Perhaps it feels hard following Jesus, physically demanding doing the right thing, socially demanding doing the unpopular thing, emotionally demanding doing the lonely thing. If that's you, you're walking the way of Jesus. Don't be surprised, don't be ashamed, be encouraged and remember the glory that awaits you. I guess I want to say that in particular to students and young people watching tonight. I understand that walking in the way of Jesus and all the tea talk can be really tough. Making lifestyle choices which your friends think balmy can result in cheap and snide comments. It's remarkable how much intolerance there is in a tolerant society. But don't be discouraged. You're walking faithfully the way of Jesus and you will receive the crown of life. It may be that you feel this way of the cross doesn't ring lots of bells for you at the moment. Perhaps being a Christian is very respectable in your circle. You don't, you don't get ridiculed for following Jesus. But there's still a cost to be borne, a cross to be carried, and a path to walk. Fighting for justice, be it alongside Black Lives Matter or international development as it seems to slip down the government priority list speaking up for others who do not have a voice, giving of yourself and your resources. There'll always be a cost to following Jesus. It's when there isn't that perhaps we should be really surprised. This last week saw the death of Vera Lynn, the forces sweetheart as she was known. She was perhaps best remembered for her song We'll Meet Again, a song which looks through separation and hardship to a time of happy reunion. As we walk the way of the cross, however hard that burden feels, we can all look forward to that day when all in Christ will meet again, when the glory of Jesus is revealed, when we will see him face to face when our burdens will be lifted and our hearts filled with an inexpressible joy. In the meantime, we thank God that we can take our place behind our Lord Jesus on the path up to Jerusalem, the way of the cross, rejoicing that we bear his name and walk in his steps. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.